What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad, otherwise known as Brad Safer, and I am joined by Alex Lochtwain, also known as Alex. Can't say his last name. Welcome. Hello. All right. So we're back. We have shit to do. We're going to fucking fly through this. We're going to just go boom like Sonic or Sanic if you want to go with the meme version. So what are we doing? At this point, we do we have like the pinky and the brain thing where we say that every week. Like, pinky. what are we going to do today, Brad? It's like, record faster than usual. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. But we are going to be successful in doing so this week because we have a time constraint, sort of. You want to get a good night's sleep. You have to be somewhere in the morning. So we're doing the top True. 10... Of all is one. All will be one. All is one. What is the what is the actual all is one? All is one. Okay, I can't fucking remember. Also, all is one. I don't like. I feel like all will be one sounds better, but it's not as sellable as a product. I I do agree with that actually. Because like, I don't know. I, I it, it works. Whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. We're doing top ten. But before we start. I have nothing to say. We're starting. <laughs> As always, when it comes to these top 10 lists, of course, the number one will always be a cycle of lands that have a direct impact into Pioneer. This time around, it is the completed cycle. <laughs> See what I did there? The completed cycle of uh, the fast lands. So we have all of them now, all 10 of them. And that will undoubtedly be the most impactful cards to hit from this set. Yeah. But of course, yeah, I was about to boring. ask is like, well, what I usually like, you know, do like to ask is like, where would they be? Which is usually at one. But like, I feel like in this case, there's going to be some good cards here. It is like, not even remotely close. No. Like, let's say like Kaladesh, it was like, if we would review Kaladesh from the Pioneer, like the Pioneer perspective, haha. Um, you know, the Fastlands, but oh, I think that was Aether Revolt actually, so that wouldn't even wouldn't even apply. Mm -hmm. No, never mind. I was thinking like but like Fatal Push, like is so iconic it could kind of give it a run for its money. Even though I think the Fastlands are still better. Uh but this time, yeah, no. Not very close. Fastlands far and away. Yeah. Also, it, there's just, like, coincidentally, there's very good ones here. Like, uh, Celestia, an aggro, uh, generally aggro colors that need it. Gruul, generally aggro colors that need it. Um, Rakdos, very aggressive colors that really could use the fast mana. So, in that way, these fast lands kind of, they almost feel better, but that's probably the rose-colored glasses from not having them ever that it seems like they would be amazing, but if they had, like, reversed the cycles, it would have probably felt the same. Yeah. Also, keep in mind, if you're looking at this and not just listening, you notice that we're on video because we finally figured out a effective way to record a video to release to the masses via Patreon and the early access. Um, and I guess, I mean, we okay, I did make, like, a year ago, a Pioneer Perspective YouTube channel that I've never uploaded to. So maybe we can finally use that. It's there. It is there. 
so maybe- but this got just got dropped on me by Brad. So it's like, hey, like the first time you did the pre-recording, it was yeah. like, hey, I'm recording this by the way, including your face. And yeah. I was like, oh, okay. My favorite thing about <laughs> this is uh, I'm looking at you right now, and you're a little bit blurry. But in the little corner, it says actual recording is higher quality than this. It's like, don't worry, we know he looks like <laughs> shit now, but we promise <laughs> he'll look better. You know, he's a blurry shit with bad lighting. I am planning on buying a ring light. I just keep forgetting. I have one. I just, I'm not using it. Uh, hold on. It's this thing. Well, because it's the middle of the fucking day for you, isn't it? <laughs> it's this thing. It's not even a ring light. It's it's a, it's a Logitech light that you plug in and you fucking shine or you can shine against the other way. And it is, it's, you know, it's it's cool. And it plugs in via yeah. USB. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, I just don't use it because it's obnoxiously bright and I need to figure out the best way to have it set up. I've only tried it a couple times, and I'm too So lazy. it doesn't blind you while you're recording. Well, that, and, like, it doesn't make me look fluorescent. So <laughs> that's that's the uh, ideal scenario. <laughs> anyway, let's fucking do this. All right, number 10. Uh, Alex, what do you got number 10? You're going first. We have a little bit of a theme in our number 10s. Come on, a little, little, little give and take. Little, 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 almost, <laughs> almost. Except my number 10 is your number 6, but we can't talk about it now if you want to. Um, so, I'll just start off then. Fuck it. Skrelv's Hive, I have at number 10. Uh, so, spoiler for Brad's number 6. I was just like... You know my my endless hatred for the fact that everyone always is like, oh, for a long time, was like, oh, white's a bad color. And it then was. I noticed that, like, as a control player, the color white is the bane of my fucking existence. Mm-hmm. Like, with stupid shit like Dovin's Veto and now having ridiculous removal and ever the best sweepers, etc. So, of course, they get fucking bitter blossom, too. Like... I, I know this card is probably not going to show up much. Like, I think the card isn't, like, that powerful. I think it's strong. Mm-hmm. Mainly it's just I have a fucking vendetta against this card before I even have it played against me once. Because I know this is just going to fucking murder my ass. Like, someone's going to drop this on turn two on the play. And I'm just going to be like, well, I guess I'm packing in my fucking cards. Because <laughs> I'm never stopping this. So... It is, it is like... And there's cool synergies here, right? Um, they, they have Toxic. Mm-hmm. Uh, corrupt is pretty easy to reach. I haven't paid too much attention to the white Corrupt cards. I don't know how many of them are good. Um, but it's pretty easy to get Corrupt going with this. Uh, this is not the end of the Phyrexian arc at all. So I'm going to assume that there are Poison payoffs in the coming two sets. At yeah. least the coming set, and maybe the coming two. Um because so, uh, March of the Machine March. is the next one is March of the Machine. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's like a March of the Machine two Electric Boogaloo. No, no, no. Remember, and then no, there's we, like we figured, March of the we Machine. We figured aftermath, that out. It's right? it's a it's a bonus product. The the March of the Machine prologue or epilogue thing. Epilogue, yeah. Uh, that's like a bonus product. That's yeah, not. But a I thought standard. March of the Machine is a two parter, and then there's like the epilogue thing when uh, assumably we've won, and then. Uh, I don't believe Shit goes so. Down. Magic sets um, 2023. Because I thought we were going full Infinity War. So, so we like... got March of... Oh, we, yeah. March of the Machine, The Aftermath. What? See? Um, anywho. What is uh, that? So that means not the end for Toxic cards. 
pretty easy way to get it going. I haven't even read out the card. I'm terrible at my job. Job, I guess. Skrelv's Hive is one and a white for an enchantment. It says, at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life and create a 1-1 colorless Phyrexian mere artifact token, might artifact token with toxic one, and this creature can't block. It's a very inconvenient way of giving you a 1-1. Um, and it has corrupted... As long as an opponent has three or more poison counters, creatures you control with Toxic have lifelink. So this is actually a good corrupted card in white, I suppose. Because once your Toxic creatures have lifelink, you are setting off that life loss. Now, this isn't a thing that's, like, common. But if you have a card like Bitter Blossom in play, and for people who don't know Bitter Blossom, that's, like, this, but then from Lorwyn, it's one on a black, and at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose a life, and you make a 1-1 fairy token with flying. Very good card in standard at the time. Was on the initial modern ban list because they thought it was going to be so good. Um, but that theoretically kills you because at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose a life. If they have a way to deal with your flyers, like let's say, like they have like a good blocker or something, event and they just stall you out uh, or they like board sweep you a few times in a row. Imagine if you have multiple of these cards in play. You eventually die, but this card, you don't, because the tokens you make have lifelink, so they gain the life back that they make you lose in order to get them. So it's a very good, just like, you play this card on turn two, and you just you just sit back, and you just let this card win the game for you in some attrition-based matchups. Obviously, the tokens can block, big difference with Bitter Blossom, mm -hmm. but uh, the tokens it makes are artifacts, which is potentially useful for payoffs that we've seen over the years and might even see in the next few sets so karn strong card karn yeah karn the technically fun karn fun karn the dominaria karn that makes oh yeah fun karn yeah yeah construct yeah. karn construct karn strikes yeah. the original karn strikes yeah yeah i like this card um i i have it higher at six so i guess i'll talk about that when we get there um, I will like to preface my entire list by saying two things. One, in my complete, utter professionalism of running this podcast for the near last three years now, uh, I did have a list put together a few days ago in my notes app, and it just disappeared. I don't know what happened. It did not save, so I lost it. Discovered that maybe an hour ago. And quickly threw together a list. The second thing I'd like to say is I think this set kind of fucking sucks. <laughs> so like, it's really hard for me to narrow down a top 10 for a set where I'm like, I don't think any of you deserve to be in this list. Now, it might be a bit of an over-exaggeration. There are good cards in this. There are cards I think we'll see play. But within the current standings of Pioneer, I feel like many of these cards are just kind of like, I feel like there's going to be a lot more misses in our top 10 for this set in the sense of this card's probably good enough to see play, but where does it go? What deck plays it? And we'll probably see it just end up being one of those things that just is not played for a while until we see bands, right? That's that's my overarching feeling of this set. But Yeah, I suppose quickly give my sense of it. I kind of agree. Like, going over my list, other than obviously the lands, which immediately mean one is one of the most impactful sets in Pioneer just because the fast lands are in. But other than the fast lands, yeah, there's a lot of cards that are like, they're good, 
but I could even see them not make the cut at all, mm-hmm. or they're like they're like a two off or a one off, like a one off that sometimes doesn't even show up in lists. Yeah, that kind of like you know how like when people build Yorion decks that like these random one and two offs just float in and out of lists. There's a lot of cards here that kind of feel like that. But with that being said, what is your number two? A number, number two, two, number ten. Yeah, let's just skip all Almost the there. other cards. Yeah, skip all the way. They all suck. It doesn't matter. <laughs> just put the set in a random order and only care about this card. No, and the one above, I suppose. So no, what's your number ten? My number ten is Skrelv himself. And Skrelv Defector Might is a one card, one mana card, a single white for a one-one. Legendary artifact creature Phyrexian Might that has Toxic One. Skrelv Defector Might can't block. So it has the same thing as like the actual mites that he makes yeah. uh, for his hive. Um, and then he has Phyrexian Mana Tap. Choose a color. Another target creature you control gains Toxic One and Hexproof from that color until the end of turn. It also cannot be blocked by creatures of that color this turn. So it's like essentially protection. It just doesn't have the weird interaction of like uh, if uh, what's the um, equipment falls off? Yeah, and equipment stuff, or auras and, and uh, auras. Yeah, Elsot of Life's Bounty, yeah. the classic. Oh, give it pro white a response to your removal, and then all the auras disappear. And then you see just on Moto, you see okay, you win the match <laughs> because they scooped <laughs> the shame scoop. I love it. Um, but yeah, I, I think this card's pretty good. I actually think it has a really good home in auras specifically to be other additional copies of Elsot of Life's Bounty. Uh, I'm really not too interested in the fact that it has Toxic 1 or even gives Toxic because the way Auras works typically is like you just want to make sure that you have a big old boy with all the pants he's wearing and you just kill them in a couple turns kind of thing. Um, And this gives some flexibility to both the uh, Orzov deck and also the Selesnya deck that is going to inevitably see a bit more play now that it has its fast land to use and just giving it giving stuff pseudo protection which i would argue is better than normal protection because of the auras in those weird situations where you want to give it pro white yeah like specifically in auras where i think you're right it's probably the card the only deck i could see it be played in it's actually better than protection yeah yeah so i think that's where it wants to go uh, in that's why it's at number 10, very top of the list, um, or bottom of the list, I guess. It's good. It, I see it having really one singular home, but that single home is it, fairly impactful for that deck to give some extra flexibility uh, to protecting your stuff, especially in a deck like uh, Orzov, where the Selesnya counterpart has the you know, Glade Cover Scout at one, and then it has the Archer at two for Hexproof, so you have some Hexproof creatures and more of a Bogle-style play, where this is not as necessary, or necessary at all, frankly. Um, but the Orzhov one needs a little bit more help in protecting its stuff uh, to kind of get through. So I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll reach a point in Pioneer where Auras will be back once again, ever since, you know, Lurus got kicked to the curve. Uh He's, this has not been as prevalent. But I think this this is a card that yeah. helps. And I still think this actually will see play in the Selesnya version as well as a couple copies um, just for that protection, just for the cards that don't have Hexproof because we don't have 8 or 12 yeah. Boggles, right? Yeah, but also just like your SRAM, your um, Light Poles. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, those two cards are very important to protect. Very good about this card, which um, I didn't consider. I initially had this like on my list, but eventually fell off. I was like, where are people actually going to play it? But I think Auras is a good home. This protection is also free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as opposed that's the big to uh, Alcid. Because what I remember when I play against Auras is that basically from turn two onwards, they always are like one mana behind. Because they're always holding up Karamatra's Blessing or Alcid, and they can never risk losing their creature. Like, they can never go shields down. Yeah. And even if they do go shields down, they go almost that one shield down. Well, when you have three mana, it's not too hard to find two removal spells in, like, multiple colors. So the fact that this card allows you to have protection from free means you can maybe even go a little faster, and Auras is already a very fast deck, or you are a little more protected because of that zero mana protection. It is a legendary, though, so I'd be hesitant on putting lots of copies in the deck, yeah. but like maybe two. I, I think, honestly, two. even if it wasn't legendary, I'd be more leaning to this being copies five and six of Alcea Device Bounty, simply because, yes... Phyrexian mana is huge for this kind of effect, but it is Phyrexian mana and then a tap. So it, it does have summoning yeah. sickness. You have to want to basically yeah, play, yeah, play this on turn one or whatever and then like let it sit. And then you can hold it up for your turn two, you know, um, uh, Shram or the Fox, right? That's where this card is good. It's not good in the sen- sense of like you top deck out, see the Vice Bounty, you can instantly use it to help get through your final attack, like, for protection or something like that against, like, green or something. Yeah, even against, like, mono green, you just go, like, pro green. And then win. You're dead. Yeah. So there's trade-offs. Fair enough. But it'll probably find a home for a couple of copies. So moving on to number nine. Alex, your number nine. I will skip my number nine because it's your number eight, and I straight up stole it off your (laughs) list because I forgot about this card, so I'm going to take zero credit. (laughs) I just realized what you put the name of it (laughs) Your number nine. Uh, that's uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> My man didn't want to spell that shit out. He's like, I ain't reading all that. <laughs> Happy for you, though. Or sorry that happened. All right. My number nine is Jace, the Perfected Mind. He is the, you know, he's not Jace of uh, the art that he's depicting, right? He's not that good, but... He's not the Mind Sculptor. But... Fraxian Mana helps a lot with the completed uh, thing. And he has the potential, like we talked about when we originally covered this card during our massive spoiler episode, we had the the giant dump of all the cards. Uh, This is a card that gets better as Pioneer goes on. And I think is already at a place of having a semi-playable deck, tier three-ish kind of rogue-looking deck that you can win definitely win games with. Um especially if you go with the option of the uh, the other Jace that tar- when you're targeting yourself, you win the game instead of decking yourself. That's where I like this. But anyway, Jace, the Perfected Mind, is four mana, two, a blue, and then a blue Phyrexian mana, or completed mana. Uh, and then it comes in with five loyalty. And of course, if you do it for three, or for the uh, Phyrexian mana, then it comes in with uh, two less counters, so be three loyalty. Plus one until the end of your until your next turn, up to one target creature gets minus three, minus O, minus two, target player mills three cards. Then if it's a uh, if a graveyard has twenty or more cards in it, you draw three cards. Otherwise you draw a card. 
So at the very least, it's minus two is drawing you a card. And then minus X, target yeah. player mills three times X cards. So the plus one has really solid protection. Um, unless you're going against a deck that's super go wide, uh, this is going to protect itself from at least a single attack, right? Um, yeah, or, or even like, you know, plus three, plus, uh, minus three attack basically deals with most cards that mm -hmm. this is going to face, especially if you're on a play and stuff. If like the rare occasion that it'll be hit for four, it's still hit for one. It's plus one. Yeah. So that still at least means you're now like have it. Now you have your mana and this walker in play. And within the context of the deck that's going to want to play this, you might be playing the crab. So then you have an O3 blocker. So that helps as well. Um, stuff like that. The minus two is pretty good. Uh, target player mills three cards. And then if there's 20 more cards. So if this makes this card a little bit better in the late game, where you do start doing these uh, crazy mills in the first few turns, and then it's suddenly just, you know, draw three. That's really good. And then the minus X has the potential to close out a game, um, or at least put you in a direction of, you know, getting there pretty soon. Um, now, this is going to be in mill. I don't really like it in the sense of the traditional mill of mill your target opponent. Um to deck them out just because of the prevalence of delve spells. And even against something like mono green, you're going to end up probably milling over the festival and then they can cast it or especially things like grease fang. You're going to hit their perhelion stuff like that. And I mean, you might have those games where you hit all their grease it, fangs, but then they can't, they have can't stay away. So it's a little, if awkward. I would be playing mill, if I would try and build a mill deck in pioneer right now, mm -hmm. first of all, you'd be in Demir anyway. So I would yeah. absolutely port four Leyline of the Void in my main deck. That's fair. Like, if I'm play, if I'm trying to make, like, not saying Mill is good, because I don't think it is right now, because just as you said, but if I would want to try and make Mill work, I would absolutely just put four Leyline of the Void in my deck and have, like, some minor way to, like, discard access copies. Yeah. Like, you know, well, you, like, there's the, probably... Um... You can do the thirst for meaning. Yeah, and then you can run. The you can three, run some uh, Frank sanities, right? Yeah, like you do, you can run a card like that, and then I think Frank sanity. Yeah, and then you have a bunch of enchantments. Like I would yeah. be going in that direction, but I want four leyline of the void because otherwise I'm just handing my opponents wins. Yeah. Um, I do think you know this is another spoiler, I guess, for later. This is my number five. I think this card is actually maybe even pretty good right now. But I'm reading all these mill effects basically as targeting me, yeah, rather than my opponent. Um, I think it's he's pretty solid at setting up delve spells, um, or other graveyard shenanigans. Uh, think flashback cards, that sort of thing. Um, the minus X can either it can come in in a pinch and hit your opponent, though I don't think you'll do that very often. But I can also just see. Because a common piece of Graveyard Hate, well, two common ones, are like Graveyard Trespasser and Unlicensed Hearse. Mm -hmm. So if you have Delve Spells stuck in your hand, just say minus X mill myself for 12. And because a lot of the Graveyard Hate we have is incremental, that means you'll actually have a Graveyard to work with for a turn or two yeah. before it gets shrunk down. So play Jace, plus it. It doesn't die. Like... Plus target, I mean, if I have to target Graveyard Trespasser, I'm sad. But literally just Jace plus target your Elish Norn. It can now attack me for, like, no more than one. Um, 
that hits Jace, whatever, untap, minus, mill myself for, like, 9 or 12, and now I can cast, like, these two dig-through times that are stuck in my hand otherwise. Yeah. So I think that's where the minus X can come in. The minus 2 is solid. The plus 1 is fine. But what I like a lot about Jace is, and I think we're going to talk about this with another card too, um, this is such a good completed card like to use the completed mechanic obviously the completed cards we've had before were tamio and ajani and both of them suck so it's hard to get a gauge for how good the mechanic is but i think for jace it looks very good on paper because this looks like a good three and a good five you know it has a he has a minus two so it's very easy to see like hey if I play him for three, I'm only going to get one minus out of him before it's mandatory to start plussing him. When I play him for four, I get two minus twos out of it before it's mandatory to start plussing him. So it's very clear that, like, pay more mana, get more value is, like, a very good rate. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, at three, it's not a bad card either. So I think Jace, together with the other card, are a very good, like, they're going to show us whether or not complete is a strong mechanic or not as opposed to the other cards. And then again, as you already said, Jace could also make its way in mill. Yeah. Um, maybe in the future, maybe now. It is just a good card for the deck. By the way, for the people who are confused with the minus two saying minus fucking 20, because that is a lot. But there are some original mill payoffs like Sheldock Isle and stuff, which always, uh, Visions from Beyond, I think, Visions of Tomorrow or whatever, they all use that if 20. You could argue it should probably say 15 or something, but it's just going with the fact that all these cards have historically done that. Yeah, and and I like the idea of like doing like the um, the leyline thing uh, as well as playing some like thirst for meaning um, or is it knowledge? Which one? Which one's the enchantment one? Meaning knowledge is, is artifacts. artifacts. Yeah, um, because and then you can do Frank Sanity, and I had to remind myself and double check it, but Frank Sanity is an aura that targets a player. So you can target yourself with rank sanity. Um, so that's pretty Extra. nice. And then, like I said, play a couple of the four mana Jace from War of the Spark. That way you can get into that, you know, whole, I'm just going to go ahead and... Well, then you could even just mill yourself for a win. That's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the kind of deck I'm thinking of. Then you run, like, Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, like, by Splashing Black. Um... Maybe you could run um uh da, 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 da. you could run I guess maybe Ashiok if you really wanted to just for the extra mill. Um that might be a bit narrow. Uh three mana Ashiok is what I mean. Though honestly five mana Ashiok I do like a lot as a card. Um I think it is a very sweet card. And that is like I'm just trying I've to tried think and of like, failed to run that quite a few times at this point. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of like <laughs> what are some good, really defensive cards? Because this, um, have you ever played RTSs, Alex? Like any kind of RTS, like Command and Conqueror, or like Halo Wars, or even yeah, yeah, I've played a lot of Age of Mythology. Okay, at the time, a common like there are strategies in RTS, and like one of the big strategies, depending on the game, sometimes there there's metas where they're not very good, but there are for those games where they're very powerful. Or turtling, are you familiar with that? When I say like you're you're a turtle strategy, mm -hmm. it's just like you are all defense the entirety of it. You basically close down your base, put up all these defenses up, and then in the background while you're beefing up your defenses and making it so that you are impenetrable, you are 
working on some type of big super weapon end game type of thing, right? To just close out your opponent. And that's what this deck makes me think of, of like a turtling type type of a strategy. So I would want as many defensive oriented cards to protect my game plan and protect everything I have on board until I get to the point of just being like, my library is empty. Jace has won it for me. And also you probably want to play Thassa's Oracle in this deck too, right? Because then even Thassa's Oracle yeah. on two or you know, like early game just for the value is probably good enough because it's a, it's a one four, right? A one three. One three. So it's still a decent enough blocker that you're like, cool. And then you could probably do some devotion shit <laughs> if you run like a couple of Nykthos, maybe, maybe. If, especially then, if, then making... Four Leyline of the Void, four Leyline of Anticipation. They can't kill your Jace if you flash it in a land step. I've learned by playing the Wandering Emperor well, while having it played against think about me. that. So I know we're spending a little bit too much time with this card, but now I'm thinking, like, if you're doing the Thirst for Meaning, right, and then you have eight enchantments there, maybe a couple of Frank's units, ten enchantments, probably four Thirst for Meaning. That's 14 slots already taken up. Four Thoughtseize, four Fatal Push. That's up to 22 slots taken up. You have probably 14 more cards. You want to maybe run three or four of this Jace, two of the other Jace. That's potentially six cards. So now you're at 28. Then you have eight more slots. So like what? Uh, Ashiok. Counter Magic. Oh, you want Delve Spells too, right? You want like probably like Treasure Cruise or like uh, Dig Through Time. Probably Dig Through Time, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe three of those. Uh, this is, this does sound like inverter with a lot of extra stats. Yeah, it does sound like a oh, and then probably four <laughs> Thassa's Oracle. So then you're looking at so let's say it's four Del spells, four Oracle. That's another eight. Yeah, that's thirty six. You're looking at twenty four lands. Does that feel like a deck that's going to do well? <laughs> no. Where your only interaction <laughs> is Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, and then a bunch of Flash stuff. So I don't think we want to go no, too I, heavy. I, I would just that. run a Demir Control deck. I wouldn't want to run the, the Fraying Sanity. Just kind of play it like a Demir Control deck. Maybe do the Ley Line of the Void thing and just mill your opponent. I feel like the self-mill is like always tough. Too convoluted. That's starting to feel like that deck that came up recently. The the one that runs the three-mana Demonic Tutor that exiles the top 13 cards of your deck. Yeah, it's like... Uh, and then you just use that to find another copy of that. Like Demonic Bargain or something? Yeah, it's basically a pot of uh, Demise. I think pot of yeah. uh, pot of avarice. I think no, the, no, no. Uh, avarice is something different. Yu-Gi-Oh reference. Avarice is the extra deck. Um, I think demise is the one that's top ten of your main deck. I think it's limited to one. But yeah, same shit. So yeah, I, I think the card's cool. I think it's gonna see play at some point. Maybe not now. Maybe later. But yeah, let's move on to number eight. I have a Cacophony Scamp. One red for a 1-1 Phyrexian Goblin Warrior. Whenever Cacophony Scamp deals combat damage to a player, you may sacrifice it if you do proliferate. When it dies, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. This is basically the one drop from Zendikar Rising. Yeah. The, the uh, woman and woman goblin, it has haste if you if it's equipped. That thing has haste if it's equipped, which is obviously an upside. Uh, people joked like, turn two hammer win right you play this card on turn two you play a hammer you a... play a sure strike or something or... it's called yeah uh which equips to a warrior for free and resolute boom strike. sack it yeah resolute strike boom sack it to its own ability your opponent just took 26 obviously 
Little Magical Christmas... Uh, little uh, Christmas Dreamland. I forgot what the... Magical Christmas Land. That's the one we always use. Um, but just overall, this is a good card for Pioneer Hammer. Yep. Um, we've seen people mess about with this deck. Um, I don't think... I still think the deck's just a bit of a meme. But, you know, it gets... The closer... The more cards like this you get, the closer it is to the dream. Uh, the problem I have with the deck is generally the problem isn't winning once you have something equipped with a hammer. Like, th that's generally getting there is the hard part. Yeah. Winning once you have a 10 plus power creature on board is pretty easy. So in that way, it doesn't actually solve any of the problems that the deck has. But there is also a point that, like, even though you haven't solved the problems... If you get to the point where if I have a hammer equipped, it's not that I basically win, it's that I have won mm. because the deck is so good at doing that one thing, that might also be enough to push the deck to being viable. Yeah, um, so recently I've been doing more like Marvel Snap content or like podcasts or whatever, um, and one thing I've talked about on there is that if you look at a lot of the top decks, it's uh, a lot of rule of threes. Um, so a lot of decks that have a type of game plan have three cards that really accelerate that game plan and then a core that helps support that game plan, right? Um, the same thing is true for Magic. And the big buff that this card, and this is my number seven, so I'm just going to talk about it now. The big buff of this card uh, that it gives to Hammer is that now you have, you know, eight copies of this one drop warrior that you can equip uh, with hammer, right? That has an effect that essentially ends the game. Then you have eight copies of a way to equip the hammer or cheat the hammer onto these being resolute strike for warriors and cigar to Zade, right? And then you have eight copies of ways to search out your hammer in the, what was the class? Uh, open the armory and fighter class. Yeah, fighter class, open the armory. So, that is very good for the deck, and then you just gotta go. Okay, what's the rest of the support and that kind of thing? Because that's yeah, you've got cards. like the troll that's generally pretty cool too. The yeah three mana three two that equips anything to itself for free. Yep, and then you have uh, like some double strike stuff as well. Um, or there's like the one that's like all warriors or equip cards have double strike that kind of thing. Um, so you have some extra play to it. I don't think this deck can surpass like you called it like a little bit of a meme i don't think it can surpass that namesake or that type of deck um in terms of like power level until it gets a two mana card that not only searches for the hammer but puts it onto the battlefield it doesn't have to i'm not saying we have to like reprint fucking um stoneforge mystic right i'm not saying that needs to come to pioneer although i would argue it's not that powerful in Pioneer comparatively. No Batter Skull, no Caldra Complete. Yeah. Almost no swords. So, but if Probably if they gave if they gave us something like that, even if it was just like literally open the armory, but instead of adding to your hand goes to the battlefield, that's the type of effect the deck needs. Like what's what's the point where it matters if it goes to the battlefield? You're tutoring up a one mana card. Yeah. That's, like the that point, that's the difference between turn three and turn four, though. Yeah, true. But at that point, you could also just... I think an easier way to go about that is we should just have Steel Shaper's Gift. Yeah. Like, that's just open the armory for one mana. 
True. That would help too. So, like, so yeah, it's it's one or the that, other. It's either a two mana card like Stoneforge yeah, Mystic yeah. that puts it in the battlefield, or a one mana search for an uh, equipment. Yeah. So yeah, it needs, and maybe like, I think it's also, I think now with like Lauren's escape mm-hmm. and um, what's it called, the Scry spell that's also in Feather decks, um, God's Chosen or God, God's, God's Willing. willing. So, like, it also has eight protection. It kind of just feels like the cards are there, but it doesn't really work out. But Hammer is really good in modern. So. I mean, Hammer also has like, Urza I know Saga, there. Stoneforge Mystic, all the other yeah, toolbox stuff. Yeah, it's got stuff. Saga. It's got, obviously, it's more powerful. But I'm thinking, like, what makes it so the deck is so good in modern and in Pioneer, which is a significantly weaker format. But in Pioneer, it's kind of shit. Like, yeah. I wonder, like, I know in modern. I think part of the power is that everything can be done in white. So, like, the core is all white, and then it tends to be a blue-white deck, so it has, like, more disruption. And in Pioneer, it's a Boros deck, and it's very all-in. Yeah, if I... So I think that's a big difference. If I but look yeah, the, at Hammer Time... a Saga is huge. So Hammer Time has, obviously, like, I mean... They use Ornithopter as a thing. They have Esper Sentinel, which generates value for them as well if they don't get to their combo immediately. Um, also, Giver of Runes is a big card to add protection, uh, though I guess we have a pseudo-Giver of Runes in the new Skrelve. Um, yeah, I got the Might. We have, uh, they're running Haywire Might as well in the main. Core Outfitter, which is... Uh, there's Battlefield, you may attach target equipment to control to target creature control. Uh, Pure Steel Paddle, Paddling, or Paladin is a big one. Whenever an equipment enters the battlefield yeah. under your control, you may draw a card. And then it has equipment you control have equipped zero as long as you control three or more artifacts, which Ornithopter, Esper Sentinel, you know, Ginger Brute, the Might, um, and then uh, Stoneforge Mystic to help get those things uh, with all of your, you know. Yeah, I, I definitely think that card compared to Resolute Strike. Because first of all, Resolute Strike limits you to Warriors, mm-hmm. which just makes it an awkward card to use. And it's a one-shot effect. And now that I'm thinking about it, together with like Shadow Spear and the Saga Construct, I know like a very good like line in Modern Hammer is you attack with like all your hammers and hammer and spear and everything. So you apply a lot of pressure. And then post-combat, you just swap your equipment around to all your untapped creatures. Yeah. So in that way, you could always be attacking and blocking with your equipment which you obviously can do here. So I guess, again, it makes the deck less all-in than it is in Pioneer, because in Pioneer it goes all-in, but once you stop it, the deck doesn't do anything. Yeah. So if they have one creature, you kill it. It's like Auras in that way, except the creatures don't have Hexproof. And then, of course, Urza Saga. Um, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> Cracked Guard. Ink Moth Nexus is even another one that helps the deck. Oh, yeah, true. So in fact, win. they they have a bit more uh, redundancy in the deck. That's that's what helps. Yeah, it's a bit more redundant. It's more resilient. The cards are more efficient. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, that's probably why. There there are some things that Pioneer Hammer could use. Um, I mean, honestly, I really think, I really think Esper Sentinel is massive for that deck, right? Yeah, uh, and like we don't have a card even close to that power level. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah, I do not like it. But there's there's no comparison. 
it, there's no like like I, I love that Esper said it all with a hammer on it and Modo asked, Do you want to pay eleven? <laughs> no. Yes, please. I would like to pay. Do you want to play an Ulamog worth of mana? So they denied him a card, and then Mono Green Devotion players are like, sure. But <laughs> all right. I could do that. My number eight is Vindictive Flame Stoker which is a really, really cool card. It's a one-mana wizard for a... Hold on, scrolling down. For a 1-2, Phyrexian Wizard, a uh, single red. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put an oil counter on Vindictive Flamestoker. Then it has six and a red. Sacrifice Vindictive Flamestoker, discard your hand, then discard four cards. This ability costs one less to, uh, to activate for each oil counter on Vindictive Flamestoker. I really like this card. And we, we okay, Alex, we've done an excellent job the last two or three top tens of no longer falling into that trap. I think the last one was like Zendikar Rising, um, right? With uh, with one of the the two mana wizard over there, can't remember the. Oh, Seagate Stormcaller. Yeah. Oh, there's a red one too. There's there's two of them on our list. There's a red wizard. Anyway, it doesn't matter. N- hold up, there were two on your list. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we. But I had Culling Ritual in Strixhaven, so I take the cake of worst number one ever put on the top ten list. So. <laughs> We've done a really Expressive good job. Expressive iteration was in that set, Brad. And I was like, no culling ritual. Hey, I was the only one between us that had Expressive iteration on my list. True. And I was like, I think this is really good. <laughs> and you're just like, ah, it's fine. Ah, probably. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> anyway. We've done a really good job of avoiding the trap of seeing a really seemingly good rate for a one or two drop wizard in red or blue and just slapping on the list. We've done that a few times. We've held off for a while now. I think we deserve a pat on the back too, because there's been a lot of tempting ones in the recent there's sets. Been a lot of wizards, yeah. To just be like <laughs> wizard prowess, eh? wizard lightning. Oh, come on. But this one, I had to break the rule and sneak it on, because I really think that you know it, it's just a, a way to build or refill your hand in a deck that's going to be hellbent very often. Um, downside is this card is not very good in without that ability. It's really just a refill type of card, and it's a card you also really want on turn one to kind of get it going and then be able to refill at a cheaper cost. Uh, you want to get this down to like, you know, three, two, and obviously one mana to refill your hand uh, to draw four cards. So it's not a card you want to be like, well, I'm not going to run that many. I'm going to run like two of them. So that's weird. It's a little weird. If this, Alex, if this card had prowess, it'd be number one. It'd be so good. Just yeah, if this card had prowess, it would be give it, Give it prowess. You gave uh, Soulscar Mage prowess. Or if we had Lava Spike. Yeah, that too. Um I think this can work. I think this could work in a in a like a wizard package type of uh prowess deck uh for refilling. Yeah, but I think in a lot in that way we're often talking blue red. Um, yeah. I could see a mono red deck. But just much more a burn. Yeah, that that's what I was thinking was just is. straight up mono yeah. red. Like uh what's And I can know, even thing. 
again, it's it's annoying because mm-hmm. it, it it has to be played early, yeah, because of it has to accumulate the oil counters. But this is such a huge refill that in uh, if we're talking like traditional burn, it has trouble with decks with um, with Llanowar elves and stuff in, mm-hmm. not because it can't kill the Llanowar elves because it can really easily, but it can no longer kill your opponent when it does that because yeah. it just runs out of shit to do. And I think this card can help with that because if early on you are forced to fight for the board, this card is there to like catch you up, which means you don't have to go into blue if you don't want to. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think if you're run- going to run this in a more traditional burn shell, well, you're not going to... Um, I would not really like build with the activated ability in mind, but I would have it as like the nuts, right? For most parts, this is just a cheap wizard to enable wizard's lightning and potentially some other synergies and just be a cheap attacker for things like light up the stage. Mm-hmm. And some games, you have it early, you draw four of this, and it's nuts. But you don't play around it being nuts. The card already has to be functional in the deck just by virtue of being a one drop that's a wizard. Yeah. And the rest is brave. And the rest is gravy. Yeah, I, I I like this card a lot. Um this one is one I will admit is the most likely of all of my cards on the top ten, or even both of our top tens, which this is your number nine, by the way, that you you know, uh officially named Wizard Dude on your list. You <laughs> did not feel bothered to type out Vindictive Flame Stoker. No, I copied that one off your list like last second. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, that is a way better include. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I forgot the this name. This is the most likely to be a miss um, because its floor is fairly low, uh, but its ceiling is really high. So it's it's a lot of risk reward kind of thing in it. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, to be fair, a mono red aggro deck is a is the definition of high risk, high reward. Right? You either. Yeah. do incredibly well in your game and you shit my opponent plays him. a lifeline creature the game is over yeah or shouldered <laughs> especially right yeah and you're like wow I, I i can't fucking do it or maybe they played the new phyrexian obliterator or new to pioneer um and you're like wow <laughs> fuck me i guess obliterator and you're just like okay well here the upside is, is that you could just throw the burn over yeah and just take the five for a few turns in a row and then finish them off all right, going on to number seven. Who you got? Yes. Tivar, Jubilant Brawler. Uh, he's a what, three, uh, let's see, a one black and a green for a three loyalty planeswalker, legendary planeswalker Tivar. His static ability is you may activate abilities of creatures you control as though those creatures had haste. His plus one says untap up to one target creature. And it's minus two, says mill three cards, then you may return a creature card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Now I'll be the first to admit, uh, I am super biased on this card because A, this is a very good card for elves. Yep. Um, the giving your elves haste is incredible. This makes cards like Llanowar Elf effectively cost zero mana. Um, it makes your Circle of Dream Druid potentially cost minus eight mana or however many elves you have on the battlefield. And then you can untap it. Um... Yeah, you can you can untap it. You can storm the hell off with cards like Leaf Crown Visionary. 
Um, maybe if you build a slightly different version of elves, this could even end up doing shenanigans like a Beast Whisperer mm-hmm. and just be an actual like elf ball, try and do an imitation of a legacy deck kind of elves. Uh, the minus two, most of your good elves cost two. Obviously, Circle of Dreams is three, Shaman is three. But um, just getting back an Elvish Visionary could draw you a card. Getting a Dwinnens Elite could immediately get you a token. Getting back um, Elvish Warmaster, that's probably your best two drop. Could potentially give you tokens. Is a pretty important win condition for the deck. I could even see a situation where on turn one you play a Llanowar Elf and on turn two you play this and you just minus two blindly because there's so many hits in your deck that you just go for that, see if you can get the nuts. Um, and also another bias is that I fucking love cards with haste. Yeah. Like haste is such a good keyword and it's so satisfying to play with. So the moment I see an effect like this, it's like, oh, I immediately get to do things with my cards. Like, I'm used to sorceries and instants that just mm-hmm. you play it and it does what it says on the card. And then I play creature decks and I cast a creature and I'm like, okay, now, why don't I get to do anything with this card? It's just there. I want you to do things, right? And this allows me... Or I play preachers with Enter the Battlefield effects, which is 90% of them nowadays. But anyway, haste is cool and Tivar is going to punch a lot of people in the face with elves yeah i like this card a lot uh, i actually have it a little bit higher on my list it's at number five so i think that's close enough to just talk about it now um yeah i think this is great for elves um especially in a deck that just won a recent challenge is seeing a lot more play and this is just adds more power to that kind of deck um it does have that storm possibility to it and i think there this is a card that you can really build around even outside of elves um, I was thinking of something like a Bolas's Citadel type of uh, list running this. Because uh, that one also runs a lot of elves. Because you want to ramp into your Citadel. It also runs uh, things like... Um, Priest of Forgotten Gods. Priest of Forgotten Gods is one. Being able to activate that immediately to get your mana. Which that can make the difference of being able to cheat out your uh, Citadel. That kind of thing. So I, I like the build-around aspect of this. I think it's just a really good card. And, of course, in a deck where Elves is going to just get better and better and better because the the fact of the matter is it's not like cards like Jace that we talked about where, like, it's mill. It will get better, of course. It's just got to find its home or time in Pioneer. That one is a statement you can make, but it's not a definitive, you know, it could be a year from now. It could be five years from now until it's at that level of playability because mill is a kind of thing where we get it a lot, but at a certain power level, not very often, right? Where on yeah. the other hand, elves, we get a lot. We've actually had a... Yeah, we don't uh, we don't often get good ones. True. But we just get so many. It's kind of the same with humans. Yeah. We get so many humans, some are bound to be yeah, good. Yeah, eventually one's going to slip through the cracks. That uh, In that set of just a random elf, you're like, it's kind of okay for limited. It's kind of okay for standard. Then you're looking at like its interactions with other elves. You're like, what the I fuck? Mean, Circle of Dreams Druid was an adventure in the Forgotten Realms, yeah. and I'm pretty sure that deck had zero elf synergies. Like, and it was just there. As like, hey, Gaius Cradle on a stick, by the way. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what on a stick? <laughs> so... This will inevitably get better. It is not a matter of when. Um, 
or if it's, it, it is a matter of when. Oh, it's no, just all a matter I don't of even if. think it's a win because you get so many fucking elves. It's you can't even be like it could be the next set we get something that breaks this. It could be now. Yeah, if someone breaks it, to be honest. Uh, this is one where, by the way, I want to give a shout out to people who also play historic. I think this is probably immediately better in historic elves than it is in pioneer elves. Mm. The pioneer elves is a top editor challenge. I'm pretty sure it's the list that has occasionally showed up anyway. Uh, that's a court of calling deck. Yeah. So its sideboard is also a little weird uh, because it's a court deck. In Explorer, we don't have court of calling. Um, I played uh, last month, I played quite a bit of historic elves because. Uh, my computer had broke, so all I had was my laptop, mm. which had Arena on, so I guess I'll play Historic then. And um, So there Explorer. I played Elves. I just... Did I say something else? You said, you've said Historic twice. <laughs> oh, fuck no. Oh, no. Historic. Uh, not Historic. Explorer. Explorer. Um, so played that a bunch. This deck... Um, and I think I saw the reply on Twitter, too. Someone's like, why isn't Circle of Dreams Druid in this list? And they said, well, I considered it, but, um, and now with Tvar, they're definitely recon reconsidering it and going to test more with it. I already ran it in Explorer because I played against so much mono green. I was just like, I'm going to farm these people mm -hmm. by playing the most aggressive elves deck that I can get. And so there it was already good. And I could definitely see Tvar being a very easy include there. So I think in Explorer elves, Tvar is exceptional. And in Pioneer Elves, he's probably just very good. And I would be surprised if he sees in shows up in zero copies. He's just not a Coco hit, but he never will be because he's a Planeswalker. So yeah, going to have to deal with that. Oh, and you can find him with Harold. Uh, yeah. The three mana, three two menace elf that like enters the battlefield, top five. Look for any elf or a Tvar Planeswalker. Yeah. So you can that, actually find him. That is interesting. Easily. So yeah. All right, let's move on to... Wait, you said... I have my number seven. Mine was mine was Scamp. I already talked about it. So my uh, then your six. Yes, my number six is Shieldred's Edict. One on the black for an instant. Choose one. Either each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature, each opponent sacrifices a creature token, or each opponent sacrifices a planeswalker. Also... One of the best flavor texts ever. It just says, Congratulations, I am entertained. Which I just think is spot on. Yeah. Um, but also happens to be the best edict we've ever gotten, basically. Uh, you could argue Innocent Blood, it's a one mana edict, but um, Shouldred's Edict is great. Um, interacted with Planeswalkers for two mana, we don't see a lot in black. So already, and Planeswalkers, they're very often by themselves. It doesn't happen very often that your opponent has more than one Planeswalker in play. For example, this is a pretty easy answer to Kiora. Obviously, Eliminate already was that, but that's CMC restricted. But this could kill someone's Kiora and then also kill their Karn. So it has that upside. Um, sacrifice, making people specifically sacrifice a creature, a non-token creature, means that, for example, we've been talking a lot about Auras, and a common way that that deck would play around Edicts is that it ran Cartouche of Solidarity, I think it's called, that makes the 1-1 warrior token when it enters the battlefield. That meant they had two bodies, so you couldn't Edict them. 
Well, with Children's Edict, you actually can, because you could just say, well, sacrifice a creature that isn't a token. So it has that upside. It's cheap. It's instant speed. However, it is an edict, and edicts are, like, never great mm-hmm. until they are, and then they're amazing. So I don't think this is, like, a slam dunk right now, but if Auras becomes good, this is definitely making its way into my sideboards. If Auras becomes, like, super good, I can see this being main deckable because it's serviceable removal against other decks. Yeah, I'm not super high on Edict effects overall, um, but the fact that you can have the flexibility of hitting even tokens and, uh, of course, your non-tokens. And Planeswalkers, uh, I I like it. Um, It is an instant. So... I do like the flexibility. I think it's a very good card for what an edict is. Um, I just don't know. It's not on my list, uh, but I just feel always feel really meh about edicts overall. Um, so I don't know. But I'm also not the kind of player that plays decks that could really utilize edicts as much, where you play a control deck, so you could have far more use and testing of what an edict can do. Um so I will defer to you for that. I have cast a solid amount of Liliana's Triumphs already. Yeah. <laughs> like since that card released. So So yeah. Uh going on to my number six, that's gonna be Hive, which is uh Skrulf's Hive. So I had this a little bit higher. Um and uh, I I like it a lot. It's so it's of course we talk about it, it's a bitter blossom for white. Um, it gives things toxic. It does have the corrupted text of whenever a player has or your opponent has three or more poison counters, then your toxic creatures have lifelink, which is nice, which helps kind of uh, combat the life loss that you get in making stuff and that kind of thing. So I think this is a card that can be really good and have a really nice cool build around, specifically because of the fact that the creatures are artifact creatures. And that is just going to open up a door for something else. And then, like, even if you're doing, like, something like a toxic deck, um, if you're going, like, in artifacts and things like that, I really like the idea of the, uh, what's the card? The two mana, one, three, that says creatures with power, toughness, one or less can't be blocked. Oh, uh, Umezawa, but I don't know, Tet. It's not Tatsuko Umezawa, but I know what you mean. Yeah. So I like that one a lot. And I like the idea of that, just being like... And then you can go into, like, uh, Sir... Oh, it Finn? is. It's Tatsuko Umezawa from uh, Dominaria. Yeah. And there's, like, there's Finn, I think is what his name is. The, the, the guy that gives Death Touch stuff poison. Is that what it is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do stuff yeah. with that just to expand how much poison counters you're delivering. And this is just... A guaranteed way to create those every turn um even though it doesn't really synergize with him uh as much but it's just like it's it's extra to that kind of deck so i, I just think and then at, at the end of the day, this all this can also just be a straight up cyborg card you bring in against control and you're like i have this for a while and you're gonna have to deal with it and eventually you want the game to go long i might just be able to slowly trip away at you and then the fact that they're poison counters, so we have to hit them 10 times as opposed to hitting them 20 times uh, makes a difference as well. So this, the flexibility of this kind of card, the build-around potential of this card with the fact that it's artifacts, 
uh, and then other dedicated toxic or poison decks um, or just being a straight up good card against control and out of the board or even in the main for certain decks lets me have it a bit higher than where you had it. So that's about it for that one. Then a bit of housekeeping out of the way because we have, that was your number six. We already talked about your number five, which is Tivar. We talked about my number five, which, which is, is Jace. Which means this is a perfect so, opportunity for you to listen to a wonderful ad read. Which I don't know how the fuck I'm going to do that in the video thing because we just recorded audio of that. Oh. So maybe I just I'm just going to slap a logo of the Pioneer Perspective while the ad plays, and it's just going to be us at the table playing Magic, being like, "Hey." What do you think hey. they can do? So yeah, enjoy that. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for listening. If you guys want to support the show in any way you can, you can go on patreon.com slash the pioneer perspective. You get access to early episodes every single week. You also have higher tiers where you can suggest segments in full episodes where we can actually talk about what you want to hear and other tiers that allow you to get merch and things like that. Otherwise, you can go on inkgaming.com through the affiliate link down below. You can get stuff with our faces on them, things without. Either way, the affiliate link helps out a lot. You can also check us out on playingpioneer.com where both Alex and I have various articles every single month. And as well as following us on Twitter at Bradsifer and Alex Lockthwain. Join the Discord at Playaway in the link down below. Play some paper magic with us. Talk some magic in general. You can also ask questions on the mailbag as well. And of course, quick shout out to Card Hoarder for letting us join their creator network. And if you want to get some cards on MTGO for rentals and you don't want to spend a bunch of money, go ahead and use Card Hoarder. Thank you so much. Now back to the show. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that ad read. Do you feel relaxed now? Does anyone truly enjoy an ad read? I think we did a good job of presentation. Some I hope nice, you endured the no, ad read. Some nice lo-fi... You know, in the background, to just relax. True, and there's some variation. You don't know which one you're going to get. Yeah. Every week. I might be talking to Alex. He might be talking to me. Uh, it might be just Alex. might be just me. And that's literally the four variations we have. <laughs> so, you had a one of four I mean, chance. to be honest, we release about every, like, let's say about three episodes a month. So, it takes over a month for one to come back. So, like. Unless I forget which one was in the last one or the week before, and I repeat <laughs> True, them. True, you just get the same one seven times So, I, yeah. Um. All right, number four, Alex. I already fucking disagree with you. Go on. Yeah, this one might be bait, but I'm baiting all of you. And um, my number four is Phyrexian Arena. And might I add in my Word document that I use for the top ones, I always put a picture of the card so I can read it out. In this case, I took the art from Conspiracy. Because the Phyrexia All-Will-Be-One version just freaks me out too much. Like, I find Vraska so creepy on the art. I did buy that one for my Commander decks because it was way cheaper. But uh, anyway, just wanted to get that out of the way. Phyrexian Arena, I suppose I'll read it out. Because uh, none of, not everyone has like 25 years of magic knowledge in their brain, even though they're only 25 years old themselves. Um, Phyrexian Arena is one black black for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you draw a card and you lose a life. It is the ultimate battle of attrition card. Mm -hmm. Because you just out-resource your opponent. That's the whole point. Now, I'm partially biased because a friend of mine plays Mono Black Devotion. I think it's a really sweet deck. 
It's very strong. It's a pretty strong deck. Like, I think it's definitely, like, under the radar a little bit with how good it is. And I think Arena is very good for that deck. Because that deck runs um, Underworld Dreams. Mm -hmm. Because in a way, it's a clock. It's a bunch of devotion. And it, like, combos with Peer into the Abyss to one-shot your opponent. Uh, I think that is an utter fucking meme. Like, (laughs) that's, like, it's fun. I have been killed with Peer into the Abyss before. But you don't need it, like, at all. Or at least, if you want to run the pair, you don't need Underworld Dreams. You have Warlock class, which is a wound reflection, which might also not say anything for people. Just says end step. Uh, I think at the beginning of each of your end steps, each opponent loses life equal to the amount of life they've lost. So Mm -hmm. if you pair into the Abyss your opponent, they lose half their life, move to your end step, they lose that amount of life again, they die. So you don't need Underworld Dreams in that deck at all. Because even though the life loss of Underworld Dreams is a clock, well, you're drawing twice as many cards. That's also pressure. And I was like, yeah, and the life loss doesn't matter because you run Shieldred, you run Grey Merchant, you run uh, Gifted Aetherborn, so you have a ton of life gain. So the life loss doesn't matter at all. And then I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, but Rectal does that too, but then like Light, it has Shieldred, it has Graveyard Trespasser, so there's definitely some life loss in the deck. It wants to apply pressure. It has a lot of like mid to low costed cards. So if you draw two cards and both of them are spells, reasonable chance you get to cast both of them. Um, the mirrors are attrition all the way yeah. because it's just a bunch of removal and big dumb creatures. I was like, so I know it's the standard bait because it's where the card is supposed to be played. And very often with magic cards, it's like, well, that's the obvious home, but then it turns out it's bad. But this one, I look at it, it's like, it is the obvious home, and maybe that just is, like, where it's supposed to be, and it's good. Yeah. Like, for a change. No odd ball, no loophole, it's just good. Um, I will say, uh, I don't know how the timing works. But I've written about this too in my uh, Grixis Grabs article for Playing Pioneer uh, this month. And there I specifically pointed out that I think it's bad in a control deck. Because you don't have the clock. So you're actually just going to die to your own card. Um, Because this is like in an attrition or slower matchup. Well, if I play against Ragdolls, I don't have the time to tap out for this on turn 3. And I'm using my life as a resource continuously. Mm. And even if I play against a car, a deck like Blue-White Control, well, first of all, I don't want to tap out for this on turn three because they have a million cards to deal with it, and then they untap and they play a Narset or something, and I'm sad. Um, also, the moment I play this card, my opponent is like, oh, cool, so guess I'm playing not to lose because I no longer have to play to win because my opponent's killing themselves with this card. So I think there it's bad. But in all these black mid-range piles... Maybe it's actually good. I like it more in the devotion style because you can still play Aetherborn, Shieldred, and things like that, and you get a shitload of devotion. Um, yeah, I'm confident it's awesome there. Like, for the sake of making that deck better, I know it's going to make the deck better. And honestly, now but you can outside of that, maybe even play Phyrexian Obliterator as a couple copies. Um or like something just for the extra devotion and it is a threat 
Um, uh, that friend who plays Devotion pointed out to me, because I said, like, Obliterator, and he said, like, I want to play it. And I was like, well, I'd rather run a fourth Shieldred, because he runs three, I believe. I'd rather run a fourth Shieldred than my first Obliterator. And he said, like, and I'm talking about it as, like, a sideboard card. And then I realized, like, Phyrexian Obliterator shits on Gruel Boats. Yeah. It probably shits on Phoenix, and it shits on Mono Red Aggro. So... I agree with both. Maybe it's actually like a red. sideboard card. Maybe. Uh, how would it really deal with Phoenix? Like, I know they can't really remove it. Well, they, they can't remove it. And but they can have a better clock than you with their Phoenixes and their uh, time walk, basically. Yeah, right? so maybe it, does, maybe it doesn't shit on Phoenix. Maybe that was a bit of an over-exaggeration. But like, I think it's actually pretty decent against Phoenix. Cause they, they can't really kill it. The deck runs very few bounce spells. Now, Leyline um, on turn one, or technically turn zero, in addition with uh, Phyrexian Obliterator. Yeah, that, that for that sure. I think but, you're looking at something for the Phoenix but, matchup. But also, like, turn one, you've got, like, Evolved Sleeper or Push for their car. Like, Push, if you're on the draw, that would be. You could, like, Push a Shredder. Mm-hmm. Uh, or thought sees for some disruption on turn two. You play an Aetherborn, which is actually a good clock because it's a four point life swing every turn. Yeah. On three, you could play like a Graveyard Trespasser or something. I don't know if that deck runs Trespasser, but where you could like go blank your opponent or I know do some random stuff. Run... And then play the Obliterate on turn four together with the Aetherborn. You might actually win that race. Yeah. So, and no. if they spend time killing the Aetherborn you might still be winning that race because you've played a 4-mana 5-5 five, five with Trample. And if they spend time killing the Obliterator, they no longer have lands. Yeah, and their only really way to deal with the Obliterator is something like uh, Thing in the Ice, which, yes, it'll basically bounce it at some point because they're not going to block. I mean, they could block with Thing in the Ice if they're desperate enough because it won't deal damage to Obliterator um, and then they don't lose lands, right? Hold up. I'm pretty sure Phyrexian Obliterator is a horror. <laughs> so it doesn't get bounced by Thing in the Ice. Oh my god. <laughs> horror! Relevant creature type! God, this is like Yorian being a serpent all over again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that was... That broke me. That that broke I think, me. I think the reason it broke both of us is because we were streaming or commentating for like seven hours at that point. <laughs> True. We're just like, so, what the fuck? For the people out the loop, which is probably a lot of you, because this wasn't like a stream that a lot of people watched, I think. We had a... We used to run on the Discord server. We used to run the Invitational. So we had basically online FNM when FNM wasn't a thing because of COVID. Um, and that was topped off with a tournament at the end, the Invitational. And we cast the whole event, which ran for like eight hours. And at one point, someone, I think it's Epic has um yorion in play and a coma like the cosmos serpent someone goes and kill their to try and kill the coma but coma says sacrifice a serpent which is usually like the tokens it makes but yorion is a serpent so they sacrifice yorion to coma and i was like what the fuck happened there (laughs) because obviously we don't hear the table so we needed a moment to be like what the fuck just happened but 
then then, I learned that Yorion is a bird serpent. And then on top of that, we're like, you know, we're dealing with webcams and not everyone has amazing quality for the webcams. So sometimes like, I, dude, I, I, I missed casting, but I also don't miss casting in that environment because half the time was us going like, cause we don't have hand information, which led to some interesting discussion while they were thinking. So I actually think that was kind of cool. And we also didn't have the greatest quality all the time for the board. So we're trying to read a card and, and like sometimes they have like really bad glare or something like that. And you're like trying to think like, hey, what the fuck could they have played here? I can't yeah. really tell what the art is. I can't see the numbers in the bottom. And then I do have a deck list on the side and they, they I think they turn five land sideways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was always fun. So we were, but uh, luckily we had uh, like streamers helping us. So they would pull up the card art and we would pull it up in the middle and kind of go like, holy shit, Yorian's a serpent. Because <laughs> we're basically going like, why did Yorian leave? Um, but yeah. Jesus. So yeah, th- I think Phyrexian Arena could work in that kind of deck um, with the Obliterator on the board. So I don't know. I'm interested. I'll try it. I like that deck a lot. I really like Mono Black Devotion. It's a very fun deck. There- it is. I'll ask you for his list. I play against it a bunch of times now. It is just so fucking cool. Yeah. Like, it's one of these decks that, first of all, makes me be like, this is why I don't want Nykthos banned necessarily. Because mm. this is the type of shit I want to see Nykthos do. Yeah. Um, it plays a bunch of really cool, unique cards, like Warlock class. Uh, it just has cool play patterns. It is flashy. Grey Merchant of Asphodel is a really cool card. So, like, it, it, it's just such, such a sweet deck. Yep. All right, going Brad, on. Brad, you're number four. The number four for me. It is the Eternal Wanderer, which I need to pull up that card because I got to make sure I read I it I will correctly. read it out for you because Thank it you. was my number three. Perfect. Um, the Eternal Wanderer, though I think it might, maybe it's even better. But anyway, it was our number three, so we'll talk about it as if it is. Eternal Wanderer, four white white, so six mana. For a five loyalty planeswalker that says no more than one creature can attack the eternal wanderer each combat plus one exile up to one target artifact or creature return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of that player's next end step zero create a 2-2 samurai creature token with double strike important so don't mix up your wandering emperor your emperor tokens yeah and minus four for each player Choose a creature that player controls. Each player sacrifices all the creatures they control not chosen this way. So you basically leave your opponent with one creature, but you get to pick. And you're left with one creature, but you're probably playing as in a control deck. Or mid-range, I guess. So, Brad, why is this card good? So, I was asked in another channel, uh, or another Discord server, which is the Discord server for the LGS I go to the most. Um... And one of the guys there, uh, he plays a lot of uh, control, blue eye control. And he at me and said, do you think the Eternal Wanderer will see play or go up in price a lot? And I said, I could see uh, I could see it see play and control. Um, it's just six mana is a lot, but it does a lot for the cost. It's just difficult to determine how playable it is, which is why this card's really hard to figure out exactly what its playability is i think it's really good um i think the static ability is phenomenal for a control deck basically it gives it that kind of built-in protection um and it comes in with a decent amount of loyalty especially if you just go plus one or even zero 
So let's say they have two creatures on board and then they can only attack it with one of them and then you just zero mega samurai and you're like, cool. Like you just basically... Good blocker. Yeah, can't really do anything. Uh, it's minus four is pretty powerful um, as like a pseudo sweeper. Uh, what's the card that this really just straight up is? Um, um, tragic arrogance? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So that's that's pretty good. That's real. That's nice for control. You want to be able to choose what you keep, and then it has a the the plus one is where I'm a little bit weirded out about the card, because um, then it's you're encouraging ETB effects. So like, how good is that in a control show? I think the zero and the minus four, and then the static is good enough for oh, control. I, for the sake of evaluating this card, in my mentally, I've basically crossed through the plus one. And this is a War of the Spark Planeswalker. Yeah. It is also a like, rare. It has a downtick, and then it just starts pooping out tokens. Like, that's what it does. In my mind. Yeah, I think this just is really good against the Control Mirror. Um, just building up a bunch of bodies, especially in tandem with the other Wandering Emperor. And then Teferi and stuff like that. Like, it just kind of gets out of hand. Um, I can easily see a world where this does not see much play. Again, this is a very weird top 10 for us because I really don't think a lot of these cards are that great. Um, I like this card a lot. I think it is the number four best card in the set. I just got to be sold on it in practice where I see how it plays. I think the potential is like it's really good. Um, it's just six mana worries me a little bit, but it does a good yeah. amount for six mana. Yeah, I think so. Like the the board wipe aspect, I think is great. Outside of blue white control, I don't see this a lot. I think I saw like a deck. So I think Todd Anderson played like ups on mid range and had it in or something. So you could blink siege mm. rhino and do that type of cute That's stuff. Cool. Uh, I love the synergy with the wandering emperor because she can only be attacked by one creature, and then the wandering emperor comes in and just exiles that creature. So, and then both of them start making samurais. Yep. So, or even you may you have this double striking samurai, and you is the wandering no that gives plus one counter and first strike right. So that's yeah. a bit of a nombo because I think the tokens have vigilance, but you give them first strike. Yep. Yeah, so that doesn't work as well, but still it's fine. Um, even then, um, yeah, you you could even put the counters on this one, so you have a three three double strike. So it's like a really good blocker. But whatever, like these two cards work well together. Um, so I think in a control shell, it's very good. I think. The Wandering Emperor, uh, the Eternal Wanderer. Now, I don't think this is the first, but we had like Elspeth and stuff do this. But a board, a almost board wipe on a Planeswalker is very good. Yeah. Like, it's a very good way to protect itself because it really like simplifies the board. If you have any other way, like another Planeswalker or a creature that can block or something to interact with that one creature that's left. This is just a really, like, immediately you start winning. Double strike tokens is a really fast clock. For the sake of ending the game, this makes a 4-4 four four every turn. So, like, the game ends in, like, three turns, like, math-wise, uh, after you play this. So, that's all I have to say on it. But I think one important note I do want to make about the set, because you kind of mentioned it, too, when we talked about it a bit, that the set isn't as strong. Mm -hmm. I fucking love that. So, I've said before, Phyrexia is not my favorite setting. Yeah. 
I don't really like a lot of the completed Planeswalkers aesthetically. I can see why it's cool. It's just not really my style. So that's why I'm like a little bit like eh on the set. Because I look at a lot of cards. Like, yeah, it's very metal. But like, I don't really care. Um, but this design, a bunch of cards that are just like interesting. They can be built around. They could be good. They don't have to be good. I want like every set to basically be this where there's just a bunch of cool cards they in like obviously there's it's not perfect but they just go about like this top 10 started with like 20 cards for me which is normal but all the cards were pretty decent and they were like pretty close to each other and i can definitely be like upset by a card from the side but at least on the surface this set looks awesome to me in terms of like the future of design and I've been pretty down on design for a while now where I felt like, man, I kind of miss fire design because in fire design, we just banned the top two cards because they were broken. And then the rest of the set was really cool. Yeah. And now we just get a bunch of cards that are like so good. You see them everywhere, but not good enough to get them banned, which I find boring. And this set to me feels more like fire design, except they already cut the top two cards in design rather than letting them go to print and then banning them. And that's very exciting for me. Yeah, like we, we don't want every set to be impactful for Pioneer. We want some things here and there, but we don't want to like... Yeah, we don't need like a, a Shieldred and a um, Fable of the Mirror Breaker in every set. Yeah. Yeah, that I can definitely agree with that. All right, so going on to number three is your... This, the Eternal Wonder for you, and mine is... The Eternal uh, Wonder is uh, Nyssa. So we talked about Nyssa a lot uh, in our last episode, and I still really like this card. Um, I think it's number three based on the current uh, <clears throat> positioning of where it can go in Pioneer right now. And we talked about that before, where like if you ever see like a, a Karn ban or like some kind of ban from Mono Green where it kind of shifts in what style you want to go with that deck. Less combo-centric, more just beatdown. The Nissa is definitely a lot better. Um, so Nissa is a potentially 7-mana card, 3 double green, and then double uh, completed mana. And then it's plus 1, create an XX green for Xing horror creature token where X is Nissa's, uh, Nissa Ascended, whatever, Nissa's Loyalty. I'm not going to read her fucking name the entire time. Minus 1, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Minus seven until on a turn, creatures you control get plus one plus one for each force you control and trample. She comes in with seven loyalty if you pay seven for her. So she can either come in at seven, five, or three, depending on what you pay for. And seven, five, or three loyalty, <clears throat> by the way. Yeah. And then seven, six, or five mana accordingly. Yeah. She can be an insane finisher for a deck that wants to be like a mono green like aggro kind of deck especially with like nissa who shakes the world as well she has great flexibility and just making a body to protect yourself destroying an artifact or enchantment which can be extremely relevant uh destroying like a fable of the mirror breaker before we can start doing its shenanigans destroying the uh the exiling one the domain i'm blanking on the name the white one uh leyline binding. binding so there's a lot of play to it 
And of course, the minus seven just wins you the game. Or it should. Yeah. Right? So I, I mean, even if you're playing in a mono green and you have like three forests in play, plus three plus three and trample with your cavaliers and whatever, it asks more than enough. <laughs> like, yeah. This could almost say minus seven creatures you control gain trample until end of turn, and it would be enough to like be a finisher in a lot of situations. Yeah. So I really like this card. Um, I just think it's on the outside looking in for a little bit. I really think it's very possible that there could be a separate mono green deck that kind of goes back to the old school way of, uh, you know, like just elves into uh, Burning Tremissary. Burning Tree. Your Vivian. Vivian, Yeah, pumping up your your dorks um, and then playing this at the end. Just be like, I have all these dorks that keep getting plus one plus one counters and they're going to get pumped from the minus seven. I just win the game that way. That's very possible. Um, But I feel more confident about her playability when we see Karn or Nykthos go, right? Um, yeah. To kind of deviate away from that combo-centric mono-green deck. Yeah, I fully agree. So I had Nissa at number one, um, and I'll go in, in a bit about why. Now, I agree, and that sounds weird. I put it at number one. I don't think in the current meta, Nissa will be played at all. Yeah. Like, I would be surprised if she shows up at all. <clears throat> I think that, like, original Vivian Reed plus one plus one counter set, like, this makes huge tokens without evasion. Yep. Vivian can give them trample. Like, that is, like, an awesome synergy. But the thing is, that's just, like, a bad version of Monogreen Devotion compared to what we have now. It's a good deck, but I think the combo centric Storm the Festival, which, by the way, doesn't hit Nissa because she is a seven drop. Um,. So you can't even hit her with Storm the Festival. I don't think she makes the cut in that deck. I think that deck has like three flex slots generally that people spend on like Nicol Bolas or like Voracious Hydra or like there's like a couple cards that like uh, Lovestruck Beast. Like those are the cards that kind of make it into that flex slot. And I don't think Nissa's good enough for that flex slot, frankly. Um, but then at other shells, she's very good. And... Part of the reason why I want to put it at number one, first of all, because my number two was a boring card, so I didn't want it to be number hey, one. Hey, mine too. And also, Nissa is she's so like I already talked about this with Jace, right? That the completed mechanic we haven't been able to explore it because all the cards sucked that had it. This card is again like Jace. This is a good five drop. It is a good six drop. It is a good seven drop. Now they are not the best five, six, and seven drop ever made, uh, but Nissa is a very good 5, 6, and 7 drop. That is a ridiculous amount of flexibility on a card. And, like, it is a modal planeswalker, basically. And I remember when we got the Wandering Emperor, and we were like, well, this card isn't super impressive, but Flash on a planeswalker is very unique, and it could be a very powerful card. And it turns out it is a great card. So I can see Nissa, because of her ridiculous flexibility, completely like blowing us out the water and being a way better card in practice than she is on paper, because we haven't we don't have the material to really judge how good of a mechanic complete is. Mm-hmm. So potentially the the mechanic is completely cracked, and this flexibility just makes like any medium planeswalker great. 
And this is already a good planeswalker, so if that mechanic potentially makes medium planeswalker great, it's going to make great walkers amazing. So that's why I thought she was, like, worth yeah. the number one slot. Also just as being more exciting, which I think does weigh in a little bit when I make my top tens. Yeah. The card's exciting, it'll end up a little few point places higher than it probably should. She might be one of the most flexible planeswalkers we have ever seen because she's flexible in what she can do both in her abilities especially with the ability to take out artifacts and enchantments which if yeah, this and that being finds, a minus one so you could do it a billion yeah, times and she could actually like see play in mono green for the mirror because it adds a, another additional finisher and there are times where your mono green opponent gets out the chain veil or like another artifact from Karn that doesn't win them the game instantly that turn based on the amount of mana they have or they're setting up the next turn or even just getting something like boat or whatever. And that minus can be pretty valuable in the mirror. Uh, so yeah, she's both flexible in her abilities and when you can cast her. She can either be cast yeah, earlier or, or later. Or you play Karn too. <clears throat> you minus your Karn. You just get a needle and name Karn. Because like you have this card, you win the mirror... So if we're playing without sideboards, your deck's better. Yeah. Because Nissa, when you play her for the full seven, which Mono Green is pretty easily able to do in most games, these tokens are the biggest thing on the battlefield. Because the largest creature is Cavalier, which is a 5-6. This card immediately starts making 8-8s. Eight so you could just go make an 8-8, eight eight, make a 9-9, nine nine, make a 10-10, ten ten, give my board plus 6, plus 6, and trample. But your opponent is dead. Like, very dead. So yeah, I can see actually see... Maybe that's where it would be able to see play. Monogreen actually starts running a sideboard, and it's just like two Nissa for the mirror or something. So. We know you're number one. <clears throat> My number one is very unique. So do you want to do your... I didn't do an underrated and overrated... Because, again, did this really quick. So I will deviate to you for the underrated and overrated. An honorable mention. Do you want to do that before our number two? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. I completely forgot about that. We usually do before the number one. But we've had a exceptionally messy top ten. Which is, you know, I guess... For in, in an exceptionally messy set. Yeah. Uh, and an exceptionally messy story. Like, what the fuck happened here? But... Let's not get into that, because we have enough to talk about still. So, I'll get on my soapbox for a bit for my these sections. I'll just start with the overrated card and say that it's Venerated Rot Priest. And I will go as far as to say that I think this card is unplayable in Pioneer. Um, it is a 1-mana one 1-2 one Phyrexian Druid with Toxic. Toxic 1. And it says, when a creature you control becomes the target of a spell, target opponent gets a Poison Counter. Now, people have been trying to do, like, weird storm things with this. I mean, like, oh, like, in modern, like, oh, I can ground swell for storm on this car, and then my opponent gets 10 poison, and I'm like, at that point, it you're playing storm, just go for 20 and grape shot your opponent. It's not that difficult. I've done it too. Um, so that's the first. And in Pioneer, like, the fuck are you targeting this card with? Like, I know it works in multiples, but... Are you going to build a deck around a one drop that you can only have four copies of? And that 
your opponent plays a fatal push and you lose. So like, how do you even build this deck? I'm not going to put this in a sideboard because giving my opponent a poison counter isn't a punishment if I don't play a deck that cares about poison counters. Mm -hmm. So at that point I'm playing Shaper Sanctuary and everybody probably already knows that I hate that card. So, like, I don't see any deck that would run this. It's not even a Phyrexian Elf Druid. It's just a Phyrexian Druid. Mm -hmm. And we haven't had Druid Tribal <clears throat> since Lorwyn, so I don't think we're getting that either. So it's just... This card's just shit. It was hyped. It is shit. I don't even think it's good in Modern. But if it's good anywhere, it's in Modern. It's not good in Legacy. It's not good in Pioneer. Maybe it's okay in Modern. Time will tell. Uh, it could it could be a card that can get some weird combo in Pioneer specifically. Here's the thing. You say right now it's probably the best in Modern, but even then you're going to rather play a t typical Storm deck with Grape Shot, right? Yeah. Where in Pioneer, not having access to Storm cards in general, this one has the potential to become the quote-unquote Storm of Pioneer, even though technically that would probably be Lotus Field. Yeah, but... but yeah, because even even the modern version where I say like you'd rather play Grapeshot relies on Grounds. I think it's called Groundswell, which is another Storm spell. So it still relies on a card with Storm, just a different card with Storm. I don't see how this ever works without a card with Storm, unless there's some weird card. But like we don't make cards like that anymore. Like, do you know the do you know what a bre what Breakfast Hulk is? That old deck. I think it's an EDH deck. They call it Breakfast Hulk. No. There's a very old card. It's like a Cephalid card. It's like a three drop. And it says, when it gets targeted by an ability, you mill two or something like that. Then there is a one drop, which has a activated ability for zero that says, prevent the next one damage, tell to target permanent or something like that, or redirect it to this card. And then you fetch that up together with a Thassa's Oracle from a Protean Hulk. And then with all the triggers on the stack, uh, with the Thassa's Oracle trigger on the stack, you mill your entire library by like activating that zero ability over and over and over and over again. There could be some card that targets this card over and over and over and over and over and over again on the same card. The thing is, I don't think we print cards like that anymore. So the alternative is Storm. And it's literally called the Storm Scale. So I don't think we're going to get that anymore either. So what card could I envision makes this good? You need something that can loop itself over and over again. <clears throat> yeah, which almost reads like that's the thing that they like fuck up and they errata it when we see spoiler. Like we might see some card in spoiler season and be like, this breaks it. And then they're going to be like, uh, we pulled a hostage taker. This isn't supposed to work like that. Yeah. And then they errata it before it releases. So, anyway, enough negative talk. Underrated is about, I think, two very cool cards that made, like, a fun shell together. Um, did you play any limited of this format? Have you, like, done pre-release? Not yet. I, uh, I was recording the first ever episode of Snap on Ego, the Marvel Snap podcast I'm a part of now. And uh, that was on Friday when pre-release... Snap on Ego, what an amazing name for a podcast. I love yeah, because, like, whatever. If you played Marvel Snap, you understand. Yeah, so, if you don't play Marvel Snap. You we know. didn't finish the podcast. Like, uh, we were originally going to be like, this is going to be an hour. And in 
the same vein of the Pioneer Perspective. It ended up being a two-hour like episode, um, which I thought w- w- went really well. Uh, so you can find it on Bootman's channel on YouTube. I might add that to the description, but whatever. So yeah, we didn't finish till like 6.30 when I was thinking we'd finish at like 5.30, which gives me enough time to make the 6 o'clock pre-release. So I could not go. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But people who played Limited probably know these cards. The first one is Barbed Batterfist, which is one on a red for an equipment, which has four Mirrodin. So you make a 2-2 Rebel and equip it to it. The equipped creature gets plus one minus zero, uh, plus one minus one, and it has an equip cost of one. And the other one is Rebel Salvo, two in a red for an instant with affinity for equipment. And it deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker, and that permanent loses indestructible until end of turn. Together with uh, this and Rabbit Battery from um, Kamigawa, mm-hmm. makes for a kind of cool, like, red aggro core, which potentially has cards that, like, care about being equipped, right? Rabbit Battery is a one mana one, one with haste. It's one of those reconfigure cards. So it's like not great on raid, but just a cheap aggressive card. Barbed Batterfist starts off as a two mana three one, which is again like not great, but it's fine. It's an aggressive rate, right? A two mana drop with three power, so kills people. And then you're left with this cheap equipment with a low equip cost. And a lot of these cards before, like I think it's like Fencing Sword from Eldraine, have the problem that they are cheap to play and slap on something. And then when you kill the card, it's like four to equip and you like never do it again. Mm-hmm. But this is cheap. Same for Rabbit Battery. So if there's some cards which we've had plenty before and a lot of people, myself included, have never read the cards because they cared about being equipped. So we're like, yeah, they suck anyway. And we stopped reading. There might be something there now with like a bunch of cards that care about being equipped, like the Goblin that gains haste. Uh, though I wouldn't equip that with a Barb Batterfist because it dies immediately because it has one toughness. But um, I could see something cool there. Um, I read it and I was like, finally, some decent equipment. So I was happy to see it. Cool card. And my honorable mention. Now, this is like a collection of like eight cards, but I'll go Hold on. into. Hold on. Hold on. What up? I got something for you. Hey, Alex, we made it to your honorable mention. Congrats. Okay, congrats, my friend. Oh, God, you can add a applause track from the... <laughs> oh, Brad is going to abuse oh, this no. so badly. There, also, you can... I wish you hadn't found this. If I could, like, remove something from your memory, like, it would be the fact that this recording software has a soundboard. <laughs> it literally has a laugh track. Brad, Stop. <laughs> We can be like Jim Davis now <laughs> with this fucking sound. Yeah. <laughs> We're real professionals over here. I, okay, yeah. I was looking at like, because it says studio in the top and then it shows media. And I was like, what's media? It's like, I, th- I figured it'd be like a preview of like, you know, what it's going to be when it's recording it. And then I just see like these things being like, hey, would you like a laugh track, a drum roll? I, w- I will say a generic soundboard is like, that does a disservice to how cool Jim Davis's soundboard is. Like he has all the like, Lightning Helix and a bunch of Simpson ones and stuff. Amazing. I love the... The drum roll's great. The Simpson one, like, that's it, I'm going to clown college. <laughs> like, every time he makes a misplay. But anyway, enough shenanigans out of the way. 
The honorable mention, and I've just named it the poison package, or more like the corrupted package. There's a bunch of cards in this set, and I will name two to keep it short, but I think there's probably a couple more. Mm -hmm. And these cards are like corrupted cards that are pretty good when you don't even have corrupted. So they're like good baseline, not the greatest, but fine. And they become awesome when they're corrupted. And the problem I found looking at these cards is that getting people to have three poison counters is pretty difficult. Like a lot of the cards that give poison counters aren't very good. Now they've obviously done a decent job with Toxic that, you know, you no longer have that awkward, like, do I go for infect or do I go for damage type of kill? But still, just a lot of the cards aren't very good, especially the control ones. There's, like, Prologue to Pharesis, which is just one on a blue, draw a card, each opponent gets a poison counter. Like, that's, like, the only one that's, like, not complete trash that just straight up gives a poison counter. And then you need to, like, proliferate. It gets really awkward. But these cards will be very good if we actually get decent ways to corrupt your opponent. And because of Limited, I can totally see a card in the next set that is just one blue for a sorcery. Draw a card, each opponent gets a poison counter. Mm -hmm. And like two cards like that, these cards are great. So the two I want to display, one is Bring the Ending, one of the blue for an instant, counter target spell unless its controller pays two. Corrupted? Counter that spell instead if its controller has three or more poison counters. So this is Quench, or Make Disappear, that people might have seen more often, um, on Rate. And Make Disappear, Casualty doesn't really come up that often. It does, but not a ton. And it's still a shit top deck. If your opponent is Corrupted, this is better than Counter Spell. So it suddenly becomes a very good card in the late game. Not like... You know, if you are behind and you top deck a counter spell, it's still not great. But at least it's not a completely dead card, like Make Disappear tends to be in the late game. And the other one is Anoint with Affliction. One on a black for an instant. Exile target creature if it has mana value 3 or less. Corrupted, it removes the mana restriction. So it's just one on a black, exile target creature. Now this one's cool, because obviously early game, your opponent isn't going to be Corrupted. But early game, cards are cheaper because people have less mana. So in that way, it really like follows itself up well, where when you go into the late game, when you expect your opponent to have poison counters, this suddenly becomes a very good removal spell. But baseline, it deals with old growth troll. It exiles without giving them the land thing. It exiles Grease Fang at instant speed. It can deal with an annex. It can, in a pinch, deal with the Graveyard Trespasser, I guess, but you're not going to be happy about it. Uh, so there's a bunch of, like, important cards that you really kind of want to exile. Graveyard Trespasser less, I guess, but just fuck the card, I want it off the board. Um, that this already interacts with, which literally could mean that it sees play if you have zero ways to give your opponent poison counters. Just because, like, you're struggling against Grease Fang or whatever. But if you do get to the poison counters, well, now you're exiling a phoenix. Now you're exiling a niv for whatever, for whoever still plays that. Uh, Another card you kill immediately is Adeline too, by the way. Very important card to get off the board. Pronto. Um, So just a good removal spell, and it becomes awesome later. So these two cards are just strong. 
And if the poison package gets better, and again, it doesn't need payoffs, it needs enablers. If it finds better enablers in the next sets, I think it becomes worth it to put this in your deck. And they're just cool. Poison control sounds cool. Yeah. I because I hate traditional infect. I really like Played it. against it enough in modern, it's boring. It's like, I'm dead on turn two. Okay. Yeah, Next poison game. is a nice, like, uh, it feels like it's what infect should have been, right? Off the bat. Yeah. So, I like it. I, I still remember a modern, it wasn't a PT, it was a PTQ, I think. Modern PTQ I played. I was on Storm, which is the first time I played the deck at a, other than, like, casual play with friends. I was like, ah, f I didn't have a modern deck. A friend was like, what do you want? I was like, fuck it, give me Storm. Um, weird deck to play with no practice, but sure. Um, and I top ate it. Um, but I said, because there was a lot of Infect, like, it was very popular. I had dodged Infect all day. And I went to top eight, and I jokingly said to my friends, like, well, now watch me get knocked out immediately by Infect. Right, because I dodged it all day. And I sit down against my opponent, and they they're kind of laughing already. And I was like, oh, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Turn one, breeding pool, glistening elf, go. And, I was <laughs> and they'd overheard my conversation. <laughs> and they said, like, yeah, I heard you talking about your friends about getting knocked out by Infect, and I'm on Infect, sorry. And I died on, like, turn three in both games. And I was like, okay, cool, we're going home, guys. <laughs> Don't have to wait for me very long. Wrap it up. Yeah, wrap it up. I'm going home. God. All right. Well, <laughs> moving on to the number two card. I'll give you the honors. For both of us, I believe. Yeah. We have the same card, number two. I've been talking enough with my honorable mention and stuff, so. Sure. You read out the number two? The card is Obsification. Obsification. Oh, I, I wrote it down wrong. Oh, well. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, no. <laughs> I accidentally hit the wrong button and uh, kicked me out of the page. I will say magic just, like, makes me learn words sometimes. I'm like, is this a word? Ossification, yeah. I put obsification <laughs> in my... Because I misread it. Sounds better. Yeah. So, two mana, one and a two for an... Inch, or one, one and a two. One and a white... Two mana, one and a white for an enchantment aura. Enchant basic land you control. When ossification enters the battlefield, exile target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls until ossification leaves the battlefield. This is basically a two mana version of uh, uh, the white one, the white card. Chain to, Chain the, to the rocks. That also hits planeswalkers. Um, and you don't have to enchant a mountain, you just enchant a basic land you control, which means you can run this card in decks that are not running mountains. So, like, you look at Chain of the Rocks, you're like, that's a single white card that goes in my mono white deck. No, the fuck it doesn't. No. You better put a goddamn mountain in there. Now, you can just be like, this does go in my mono white deck. It really does. So, that's pretty nice. Um, and the flexibility of this card is right there in playing black and white. Exile target creature or planeswalker, no limits on the mana cost, creature types, whatever. Just straight up two mana removal of the two most impactful types of cards that you'll see in Pioneer. That's going to be massive for any deck that can run this. I'm looking at this uh, this card being a staple in the sideboard when it comes to mono white humans 
or any mono white deck that in general, mono white humans especially. Um, I know they have other cards that they can do to kind of like achieve this kind of ability, like uh, like on the stick, like um, the werewolf and things like that, or brutal Cathar. Brutal Cathar. But this being two mana and just this. Okay, we talked about this the last set with um, from mono white humans with the uh, the single white uh, exiled creature Laid out arms. Yeah, so that one seemed really good in that same idea. This one is strictly better, even though it's a higher mana cost, because again, it doesn't have a restriction based on the types, the cost of the cards, and you don't have to do anything like equal to the yeah. amount of like, lands you have or whatever. Yeah, like you'll find like with laydown arms, the problem is you just have draws where you have like one planes, but mono white humans draws where you keep and you have zero planes is very unlikely. Yeah, and you only need one planes for this to work. Yeah. And minor upside compared to Chain to the Rocks, which very often is put on the card Sacred Foundry, is that Sacred Foundry is a non-basic, which means you can blow it up with stuff like Field of Ruin to get your card back. This goes on basics, and in Pioneer, basics are near untouchable. So at least land destruction is basically never going to get rid of this, so they have to resort to straight up enchantment removal. Yeah. This is just a really good removal piece. It's cheap. It's efficient. It's going to do what you want it to do. It's nothing flashy. It's nothing super extraordinary no, as a card, it's but it's just a straight-up great card. That's it. Uh, also, talking about, like, for Mono White, uh, I've been on a while, and I, I'm not, I know I'm not the only one, who was like, isn't Orsoff just better? I think a friend of mine asked recently, like, do you think Mono White is, like, the, like the best build? And I said, like, no, I think it's the laziest one. Mm -hmm. Like, it's good. It's very good. But I feel like with, like, Orzov, there's maybe more there. And Orzov showed up at the RC and did quite all right compared to Mono White. I think actually more people came with Orzov than Mono White. And it performed reasonably well. Yep. And I think a draw to that deck is the card Dire Tactics. Because it's just... Blue and the black, uh, sorry, white and the black for XL target creature, and then unless you could, if you control a human, if you don't control a human, lose a bunch of life. Who cares? It's just two mana for a removal for an XL removal spell to get shit out of the way. And now with ossification, okay, it's not instant speed, but it does hit walkers, and this just means you don't have to go like out of your way to play Orsov anymore, and you can stick to playing mono white. Have that clean mana base. Have more utility. Don't lose games to awkward mana draw. Um, so it's just more of a reason to just stay in mono white. Yeah. So I think that's a big, pretty big plus too to like maintain the status quo of it being the quote unquote best aggro deck, and this uh, this helps. Just Thalia just you know messes you up a little bit when you try and play this card because it is a non creature, but mm. whatever. Dire Tactics had that too. Um, make sure to pay your own taxes too. Thalia is actually a, uh, asymmetrical effect as opposed to almost everything printed nowadays. So we already know what your number one is, being Nyssa. We talked about Nyssa at a decent length. And the reason I wanted to do the underrated and overrated and all that before number two is because that is the last card we're talking about. Because my number one is no fucking card at all i am so overly low on this set as a whole 
I could not comfortably put a card where I'm but, like, it's the definitive number one card because I don't think any of them are. Yeah, but is it low in the sense of like, like the set sucks? Or is it low in the sense of like, there's a bunch of good cards, but like nothing like jumps far above the rest to be like worth of like a number one spot and kind of like this is more like a top 11 and we're skipping number one um i think it might be a little bit of both i think it's more so um the top end of the list i'll put it this way there aren't any cards that i felt are good enough in the set to sneak in at number 10 and then just push everything else down which is why i just omitted number one right like, yeah, like in your opinion, like your top five could have like basically been in a random order. Yeah, yeah. With I guess ossification being justifiably at the top, but as I said too, with like making it's this boring, more, like a boring card. And as I said before, <laughs> like, yeah, efficient removal. Thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> and as I said before in the beginning of the episode, as always, the lands will not be included in the list because they are definitively the number one card. And in this They're case, number zero. yeah, they are so far and above as far as impact goes for the pioneer format so far above everything else in the set, it's not even close. It it, like, basically if you had like a a nice disproportionate, like distance between uh, or proportionate distance between everything, number one would be the lands. And then numbers two, three, four, and five essentially be, would be blank. And you would start at number six for like the rest of the list in terms of like comparatively power levels. So that's the the set's cool. I like a lot of the cards in this set, and I think it's a good thing that we're not seeing like incredibly strong overpowered cards because we've had that that in the past with sets where like we can't narrow down a top ten because there's so many good cards that are really impactful, right? Especially towards the top five area. Yeah. This is not one of those sets. Doesn't mean it's a bad set. I'm sure it's a blast in limited. And it I'm looks just, like a great limited set. Like Nissa, you know, we'll have to see about the completed mechanic like how good it is in practice now that the cards are good but still like with like the might people were seeing like phyrexian mana showing up on cards and i'm just impressed they didn't crack it yeah they stuck it with like abilities and stuff that yeah that's some like stupid card with phyrexian mana showed up that was like like they just like reprinted gitrope or some stupid shit like i'm just glad they didn't do that so yeah uh, overall, I think the set's cool. I sh- I think it's going to be fun and limited. I'm excited to play some games limited. Uh, I'm probably going to go and draft this set this week, uh, see how that goes. And um, as for Pioneer, we'll see some cards show up. We'll see a lot of cards not show up, but I think that's okay. Yeah, like it, it, it is an exciting set. I've seen a lot of brews uh, float about the interwebs. So I'm excited to see what people come up with. Uh, there's definitely a lot of unique stuff to be done here. Again, like poison. I have a I have a fun idea in mind for a poison deck. Uh, obviously, I'm not actually gonna attack people because I don't do that except if it's with elves. So um, I'm excited to try random nonsense like that. Um, yeah, there's there's other cool stuff. Again, there, there's there's potential in this set. Yeah, but it does give me. A bit of the like i can't fully be excited until like the phyrexian stuff is kind of over because for example a mechanic like toxic and corrupted we kind of know right it's like once the phyrexian arc ends 
other than like the random card like Finn the Fangbearer, it's just kind of over for Infect. Mm-hmm. Like I would be shocked if we get like like an Infect like mechanic in a set for like a fucking decade, right? After this arc is over. So it really feels like what you see is what you get. So I'm very much waiting to see what's gonna happen with like what are they gonna do with completed planeswalkers? What are they gonna do with corrupted cards? What are they gonna do with Phyrexian mana? Like all these things that are absolutely like the book is kind of being closed on, it feels like. I really wanna see what the last chapter is. So even though this set has just come out, I kinda wanna get to March of the Machines already. Yeah, I can agree with that. All right. And with that, we thank you so much. We appreciate you. We always appreciate you guys giving us some support. Uh, I will figure out how I'm going to do the video thing. This is definitely going to go up on Patreon, but we'll probably do an actual release for it because I'm paying for this service. I would like to use it to its utmost ability. So, yeah, Um, we'll figure that out. But, of course, as always, we appreciate you. We love you. And every time I every time I go through that in my mind of saying that, I flash back to going to like fucking church as a kid, where um, uh, where like the 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 pastor is uh, like saying like um, uh, something about Jesus loving you is like may his face shine on you and be gracious to you, may his spirit hold on to you forever in his name, Amen or some shit like that, and like it's just that echoes in my mind when I say this out every single time, <laughs> and I'm just like no, go away, push that away. <laughs> Yes, may our faces shine on you and be gracious to you. May we look on you with favor forever in his name. Amen. That's what it was. <laughs> I figured it out. So bless you all. So with the video, may our faces shine upon you and may your top decks be great. I hope you listen to us next week or watch us next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.